Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is JP Samard. JP is an Objective-C and Swift developer at Realm, as well as the co-host of Swift Unwrapped. Welcome to the show, JP. Hi, Garrick. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. How are you? What are you up to? Oh, I'm great. I love your enthusiastic intro every time. It just gets <laughs> me pumped up. Oh, man. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, actually, I tried to say it almost like a rap song or something. Mm. It's almost yeah. like beat poetry, you know? Yeah, it took a while to develop. And, uh, I, you know, many nights I would go to sleep, like, thinking about it and, like, getting each in- intonation. And uh, it's inspired, I think I might have said this before, by Saron, Sur- Sur- I think, Code Newbies. Her intro was so good. And, uh, yeah, big inspiration for the Swift Coders podcast is Code Newbies. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I know it's important to have those inspirations, see what, you, uh, what you're aspiring to follow in terms of other podcasts or whatever it is just kind of pick something that you like and uh emulate until you can improvise and build in your own flavor right yeah i like your guys's intro um with uh, swift unwrapped the do 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 like the little jazz yeah little uh little organ music playing in the back there yeah my my brother composed that actually um we're, we're pretty happy with how it turned out Oh, your brother made that. Oh, I listened to your brother's music, by the way, the couple of videos you sent me. Oh, yeah, you have. Yeah, well, you're working with um, uh, some other podcaster, right? Yeah, this, uh, this guy's creating African developers podcast, and he needed music. My cousin makes music. I sent him some tracks. He ended up just, like, buying something. But, right. yeah, you, you had sent me that music, and I listened to it. So your brother made the soundtrack for, for Swift Unwrapped. He did, yeah, and that's definitely kind of out of his comfort zone a little bit. You know, it was very poppy. Um, he's a lot more into he's – he's a professional per- percussionist and drummer. So he's a lot into, like, Senegalese rhythms and just African um, history and rhythms in general there. Uh, but, you know, he's mostly into that and then lots of lots of jazz and world music. Um, so it was definitely a stretch for him to do the, the pop tune for, for the podcast, but I think it worked out just fine. Yeah, yeah, he did an excellent job. I really enjoy that tune. Uh, going back to what you said about it's sort of like uh, not really fake it till you make it, but like copy until you figure out how to adapt. You said, Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like that's kind of like what we do with programming. Like we kind of just see what other people are doing. We copy that to make it work. And then once we learn more, we sort of fit it, we change it to fit whatever we need. Absolutely. It's, um, it's this concept. So in high school, I, I played a lot of, uh, played a lot of music, played a lot of saxophone. And one of the things that, um, one of my teachers always said is, you know, until you find your own improvisational voice, until you find out like, what is your sound, so to speak, um, it's great to kind of try to emulate others that you respect or that you aspire to as much as possible. And, um, there's actually a lot of value in, in copying, especially when you're starting out, um, so that you can kind of try a few different things. And then ultimately, if you want your sound, your programming, uh, spin, whatever your interests are, um, they'll kind of end up being in line with who your uh, tastes are and, and who your aspirations are. 
Um, so emulating and then kind of tweaking and improvising and melding together um, is just a good way to find out like what aspect of programming you like. And, and I, don't, I don't know, I think this is advice that kind of applies to all sorts of things in life that you want to get good at, you're passionate about. When do you think we uh, sort of know when like the right time is to try something different? Like, I guess you kind of have to master, like if you're, this, this reminds me of blues. So for you, it's jazz. For me, it's blues. Like I played in a blues band. I, I didn't really like learn and master, but that was what my bandmates would always say. Like you have to master like what they've already done and then you can like improvise. So like at right. what point do in programming do we realize like, okay, I've mastered the something I'm dealing with a lot right now is like thinking about how to handle application launch. Like something is crucial, something as foundational as um, application did finish launching with options. And so like how do you, when do you realize you've mastered and when do you feel like you can start trying something new? I don't know. Uh, master is, is a really strong word, you know. Um, there, there are so many things in life that, um, you know, I, I, I spend my time doing and none of them I would really say that I've mastered. I don't, I don't think I've mastered <laughs> much of anything in life. But um, when are you comfortable enough to stop investing a lot of that upfront um, R&D or a lot of that upfront yeah, research and just uh, sweat and tears and kind of move on to using it and tweaking it. I, I don't know. That probably depends on every person and how much, how invested you are in, um, in really fully understanding what you're doing. You know, there's yeah, a lot of value right. in getting just kind of surface level knowledge of the things that you don't consider important to your end goal at the time or yeah exactly so like say your goal is is you say you're, you're launch not an app right and you want to build an app to, that solves a need um you know whatever that need ends up being whether it's you, you want to build a social network that does something completely different than anyone else right um i think if that's your goal then figuring out what parts are key to getting there and really fully understanding as deeply as possible um, those uh, like problem sets or, or that surface area. And then everything else that you need to kind of get there in the periphery, you just, you stick to surface level. Like you, you get to good enough. And if you understand that it's not critical or it's not a core component to get to your end goal, it's just like it's it's something that you that you need to get out of the way. Um, then you know, stick to surface level stuff there. Focus on on the depth for the core of what it is that that you're aiming for. Okay, so this topic is really really interesting and very important to me, especially right now. Uh, and I I really want to spend more time on that. So I think what I'm gonna do is pin that and come back to it because again, like this is something I really do want to talk to you about. But before we get uh, let too much of the episode get away, I want to step back and and learn about you. You do a lot of things. Uh, you know, I was. I, I don't know. I guess like, yeah, so I heard, I guess I heard about your name and like sort of saw your name like kind of more officially with Swift Unwrapped. But then I realized, and I think I recognized your voice. I'm like, wait, I saw this really amazing uh, Realm video about Swiftlint. And I'm like, yeah, right. You did that video, right? Where you kind of explained the different, um, 
the different sort of sheriffs in town when it comes to Swiftland, <laughs> like, right? Yeah, I, sh- I shared kind of different usage patterns um, because you know, the, the fact that I ended up um, contributing to a, a style linter is really kind of an accident of, uh, of history, I think, because a lot of people end up looking at uh, its stylistic linters and, and really just tools in general as like the, the authority, you know, where um, if, if you get a style violation, it's because you're doing something wrong. Well, that's, and, and th- that's really not the case, which, which is why I dislike linters most of the times because people attribute too much importance to them. Interesting. Where they might uh, uglify their code in order to satisfy the linter, and, and that is never a good thing. you know. And machines are dumb at the end of the day, so the, a human does know best. Um, and it was just kind of bothering me that a, a lot of people, even two years into SwiftLint, um, I think still still had trouble understanding kind of how a linter should fit into to their workflow. And so, yeah, I gave a presentation on kind of all sorts of different ways in which I think uh, using a linter is beneficial, uh, none of which being, you know, everything the linter shows you, you, ha- you have to. Yeah, you none of it is like the way. I really like that video. You sort of laid out the different sort of modes you can you could try out SwiftLint. Okay, so for those that might not know, SwiftLint and linters in general they are, uh, well, the way that we run it at, at Farmers, there's different ways you can run it, but the way we run it as, at Farmers, anytime I hit Command B, there is a build phase run script that runs, I think Swift Lint runs uh, bef- either before or after Swift Format. I can't remember. It's one of the last scripts that we have run. So you hit Command B, it builds your project, and then these scripts run, and they lint um, all your Swift files, and they basically say, like, there's, like, rules that you set up, uh, you know, oh, you're using forced unwrapping or, oh, there's uh, this line length is too too long. So anyways, these linters, they basically look at your files and make sure they're up to a certain kind of standard. OK, so that's like what uh, these in a general kind of sense, that's what these linters are. So uh, going back to like I, I knew I, I saw your name. I was like, OK, I know now Swift Unwrapped and I recognize the voice. I'm like, oh, I remember from SwiftLint. And then I'm like, you know, I got to interview JP and. Uh, I look at all the stuff that you are doing and it's like, man, when so so I didn't go too far back. So let's say Swift comes out. I saw this article you wrote about sort of um, getting into the details of Source Kitten. Sorry, Source Kit. Then you create a Source Kitten. You create Swift Edit. Then from that, like Jazzy, I guess. Well, Jazzy maybe already existed for Objective-C, but then like Jazzy for Swift, uh, which so Jazzy creates documentation. We can get into that. And then, um, what else? So yeah, Source Kitten, um, uh, Jazzy, and then SwiftLint. And you know, we use uh, first. I used Jazzy, like super rad. Uh, you know, to, I don't know, super cool. Then we well, started using SwiftLint. Like yeah. Oh my gosh. So, anyways, you do a lot of stuff. That's pretty, pretty, pretty cool. So I just wanted to set that up and say, like, that, you know, I don't know. Just always amazing to have like these incredible people on the podcast. So that's that's why I wanted to have you on. Um, but before we get into all that stuff, then I want to back up and and, and find out uh, where did you grow up. Let's start with that. Right. So I grew up in eastern Ontario in Canada. So um, just basically right between the capital Ottawa and Montreal. Okay. How did you get into programming? <laughs> um. So I got into programming. Basically, I had like 
maybe one or two short flirts with programming um, growing up. So once was, I guess, in in my second to last year of high school, um, there was a computer class. And so we did a, we did some visual basic, um, and I absolutely hated it. Like I did the bare minimum just to kind of pass by, um, basically built this, um, breakout game. I don't know if you've ever played breakout, but it's this little pad that you can control that goes from left to right on the screen and then bounces a ball towards bricks and then breaks the bricks. Yeah. That was one Um, of the first iPhone games I had. Oh, was it? Yeah, a super yeah. addicting thing. Anyway, <laughs> b- built that, but really was not into it. And um, it was it was really more about uh, kind of understanding the, the visual basic um, kind of IDE more than programming, I would say, where you would, like, set up events that would happen on, um, like, physical blocks on the screen and you would say like okay well here's a boundary and here's what the collision uh, effect is and you know really didn't enjoy that because I I didn't see um, the flexibility of programming I guess when I tried that out Interesting. Um, and 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 so it wasn't wasn't all that interesting to me it was like oh well this is the kind of thing that you do if you want to make computer games okay. and I, wasn't wasn't really into that so um basically didn't touch programming any time after that until uh, i went to university for electrical engineering um and there was this introduction to c programming and again like this was so far from what i actually wanted to do like i was going to electrical engineering so i could learn how to make like effects pedals and mixing boards for audio and like real analog circuits you know i really didn't care about about programming at the time. So I did the intro to C, like struggled with trying to figure out what a pointer was and like how (laughs) just the the layout of computers worked in general and was not uh, terribly interested in pursuing that at at that time either. Um, And so finally, when I graduated from electrical engineering in in 2011, um, I built this indoor location system um, as, as part of my degree as part of a research project in my last year. And I wanted to build an app around that. So you could like take guided tours of museums and, and places and uh, have the indoor location kind of show you around. And this is 2011, right? So it's kind of peak mobile um, industry, right? Where, where everyone has, I think is probably around iPhone four. Yeah. Like iOS, iOS four or five. Um, You have like a real explosion of, of the app store and apps in general. Um, it was, it was kind of a big deal, you know, it was, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was, apps were a big deal. And so I wanted to build an app for that and I'd never done it. Um, so, you know, started download Xcode, try like messing around with, uh, interface builder, um, nibs and all that. And then I realized like for me to actually survive (laughs) now that I've graduated, like I need to make some money. And so what I ended up doing is I ended up going from um, music festival to music festival in in Ottawa, uh, basically pitching people, hey, I can build an app for you for your festival. Wow. As a way to as a way to make money to to kind of pay the bills as I was working on this project. And uh, I'd I'd never built an app before. (laughs) So I was going to these festivals, like pitching them these super cheap 
um, like we're, we're talking just a few hundred dollars, like I'll build an app for you, basically like pretty desperate. Um, and eventually two or three festivals signed on. And so here I was, I'd never built an app before and I had to deliver these apps, right? Which is kind of interesting because earlier you touched on like fake it till you make it. Well, you know, that was, that was basically it. You know, I, I don't like to think as, think of it as, as straight up lying, um, saying that like I can build an app when really I can't, but rather having to deliver, like I, I have no choice now, like I have clients on the line. And so like doing basically the bare minimum uh, to scrape by to figure out like, okay, well, how do we set up these buttons in Interface Builder? What do I click and drag where? What's the least amount of code that I can write to get this to work? And um, ended up shipping these apps that summer. And that's really what kind of kicked me off onto uh, onto iOS development and programming in general. Wow. So, so cool. Oh, that's amazing. So prior to you thinking like, I want to make an app for this device, this like tra indoor location tracking thing that I made. And prior to uh, soliciting your, you know, your services for app making, how much programming experience did you have? Like how much, what different languages did you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's basically what I said, right? So that three months of visual basic building breakout in high okay. school. Um, then that intro to C course. And that's uh, it? Basically, well, there was a bit of MATLAB in there, um, which is more math than programming. But, um, you know, there, there was definitely some programming there, um, you oh know, doing MATLAB gosh. stuff for electrical engineering. And so it, it really was like a trial by fire. Um, when I realized that, you know, app development was, was a big deal and I wanted to get into it. Um, at that point it was like, okay, let's, uh, let's start by making an app, um, and, uh, and getting clients. And, and th that basically grew out of that where uh, eventually I got more and more clients doing more than just festival apps, had to hire more people so that I could deliver all these apps. And three years later we were, you know, this, this small agency in Ottawa building apps for all sorts of people. Um, so it really wow. snowballed. So then, so then from that, I think I read from there, you went to Realm. Yeah, basically like straight out of, um, this agency was called Magnetic Bear Studios and, uh, ran that for about three years. And then, um, basically realized that even though the company was growing, it wasn't at all what I wanted to be doing. I, I ended up doing more like hustling, getting contracts, like talking to clients, uh, meeting payroll basically for, for a small crew. And I, you know, that's not why I got into that business. You know, why did you, uh, it, it was really to, to build apps. And by that point, you know, I had gotten fairly interested in more of the programming side of things and I wasn't doing much programming anymore. So I was off to find like a technical challenge, um, after, after magnetic bear. You went to college to build effects pedals. You uh, started making iOS apps out of necessity. You are a full-time programmer now. What happened, uh, like, mentally, sort of, in terms of, like, your interests and your passion or your desires to go from, like, electrical engineering to making effects pedals to now, like, being a very prolific um, programmer in, you know, in, in, in at least objective scene Swift world? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm prolific. I think I found um, a sort of niche 
that really interested me, like uh, an area of like tooling, reverse engineering, um, you know, really filling gaps in in a new language that was missing all sorts of things, you know, which is one of my greatest joys in working in the Swift ecosystem is that as a new developer, you have so much surface area that is yet like undiscovered and and still needs um, tools to be filled. Like even just recently, we got what I would consider the very first um, real code gen tool for Swift, Sorcery, uh, by Christoph Zaboki. And you know, Zablotsky. Okay, sure. <laughs> he, he I'll, I'll a, let you pronounce it. He was a guest on the on the podcast, so we uh, we spent mm-hmm. quite some time trying to learn how to pronounce that. Did you talk about sorcery, or was that before he had made that? Oh, we talked a little bit about it, but yeah, yeah, no. Please continue. I want to hear about it from your perspective. No, but what what I'm saying is that even you know, three years into the language, even today, if you're listening to this podcast, there's still so much possibility. Um, as a developer, whether you're beginner or advanced, to actually contribute to the ecosystem because it is a new language, right? If, if you're trying to do this for like some very old established language, odds are it has all of these tools. You know, there's uh, Doxygen for generating API docs or Ruby has style enters and has had for you know decades. Um, but if you find something that a language, an established language has in, in the tooling space, or not even tooling, but just the ecosystem. Um, so even if that means like more on the like on the publishing side or on the literate coding style, which is like you know, basically what you see as playgrounds, but but there's more in that direction that has yet to be explored. There's just so much opportunity to uh, build the things that you want to see into the language, which is which is one of the best parts of Swift right now is that it has so much opportunity. So what you're saying essentially is that you're passionate about creating and exploring developer tools. Correct? Yeah, d- developer tools specifically I find interesting because um, you know, this this gets to one of one of my big motivators, I think, and that's, to basically multiply my productivity. Um, so, you know, when I was starting out in programming, building apps for others, um, building apps for festivals and, and companies, um, what I could produce in any one given time, especially as a beginner, was was really quite limited. Um, but with the advent of open source, um, what you can build so that others can build you have the possibility to, to really multiply your productivity. Um, if you look at like your output on this planet in uh, your, your lifetime, you know, there's only so much that you can do if you try to have the whole weight of the world on your shoulders. But if you kind of embrace this aspect of collaboration and of sharing, then you can multiply your productivity and, and your, your results, um, drastically and and that's why i enjoy developer tools is because well if i put in lots of effort into making um, a powerful database for example others can then focus on the other parts of their app that are important to them you know that depth that we were talking about earlier and just stay surface level for their database for their networking library for whatever you consider non-essential 
So I, I agree with uh, the sort of interest or I really enjoy this concept of developer tools. I mean, I love using Jazzy. I love using Swift Lint. Uh, and, and so I, I maybe one day I'll contribute to these developer tools and create some. I created like a little command line tool that I use for myself. So I to creating these things and having other people use them and then they like them, that's gratifying. Um, so I totally understand that. Uh, is that one of the reasons why or, or near maybe the main reason why you decided to go to Realm? Uh, it's it's certainly a reason. Um, you know, like I mentioned, when I was uh, looking to, to move on from Magnetic Bear Studios, what I was looking for really was a technical challenge, was to get back to programming, um, especially to learn some of the more uh, fundamental computer science concepts that I had just kind of skipped over. Um, and so working at a database company as a programmer was a great way to do that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was probably the principal motivator. And then the fact that, uh, just seeing the, the underlying database technology that Realm had, um, around the time that I was interviewing with them was just mind blowing. And, and I knew that it would have the potential to, to make a splash in the industry. And so, um, I, I wanted to to join in on that again to kind of multiply um, your your productivity. Where like with my own company, ev even with hiring people, a handful of people, um, you know, my multiplier there wasn't as high as I thought it could be if I was working for another company that you know I didn't have to run. So you're running Magnetic Bear. It sounds like it's going pretty well. Uh, you start to realize that you're looking for something different. Um, how do you make that decision to leave this business that you had built and go join a company? Seems like it's a very, um, it's a tough decision or it's a, it's a decision that has, it's a significant decision, right? How do you make that decision? Uh, what's going on in your mind? Like who's around you supporting right. you? What are they saying? What are you saying to them? Right. So, um, you know, I, I'd say that the business was going okay. Um, it was certainly growing in terms of number of contracts, um, uh, the the contract size, uh, the number of people working at Magnetic Bear, but there were a whole other slew of factors that weren't going so well. Um, so for, for one, if you're doing contract work, if you're doing development work, especially if uh, you're fairly new to it. You're not, you know, an established business that's been doing it for 10 plus years. Um, you don't always have the luxury of picking the best things to work on or uh, not, not even that, maybe that's a bit harsh, but you don't necessarily have the luxury of, of picking what you want to work on and what everyone in the company at that point wants to work on. So I think a lot of, uh, a lot of the folks that were working with me at that point, um, just weren't satisfied, really, like uh, they weren't fulfilled with the kind of work that we were doing. And so that led to all sorts of things like wanting to do our own products. Uh, so we briefly joined this, this startup accelerator in Montreal to kind of try to bridge those two worlds and you know, bringing on more people. Um, and so ultimately, I, I don't think that it was really going in the direction that any of us really wanted it to go in, despite, you know, on paper, seeing the company having growth. 
Um, which I think is one of the biggest lessons that I've had from that is that not everyone defines success in the same way. Um, like business development wise, this was going fine. But for me, like growth for the sake of growth was actually not enjoyable. And it wasn't enjoyable, I would say, for the for most people who were working there at the time. Um, so that that was a big lesson for me saying like, yeah, numbers alone, it doesn't quantify success. I definitely relate to that. When I first started uh, for, you know, just even the search to get a job as an iOS developer, I really could care less about what it was. I just wanted to be paid full time to do what I love. Uh, now that I've um, been doing that for, you know, over a year or, or so now, um, that feeling of like wanting to work on something super interesting uh, is, is definitely, you know, I guess it's always been there, but it's like more prominent. Um, you know, that's why we have like either we can, you know, go find another opportunity or we can work on our own personal, you know, personal projects. Um, how did you decide to go to Realm? Um, to me, Realm right now, I, I've yet to use the actual database product. I look at, you know, watch all those videos. Um, to me, Realm is like one of the coolest uh, companies in the in the community uh it's just like i mean you guys have all those videos which are just amazing content that you're just giving away um you host like the swift language user group uh you have you know you're doing like obviously realm is, is a cool product a lot of people use it um, but even just on the developer tool side uh, besides realm you have like as i mentioned before jazzy swift lint um and then like source kit and it's just, it just means like to me, like right now, looking at Realm, it's like one of the coolest things in the iOS, Swift, you know, community. And you guys, you guys touch other communities too, Java, Android, and all that. Um, what did Realm mean to you at the time? Because that was a few years ago, right? And uh, like, what was, yeah, why did you end up choosing Realm specifically? Right. Well, I will have been at Realm for three years next week. Um, and so when I joined, the, the company had already been going for uh, two and a half years prior to that. Um, so Realm was actually part of Y Combinator summer 2011. Oh, wow. Um, so it dates back pretty far back. Now, I, I actually, ha having started a bootstrapped company, I had quite a bit of an aversion to um, VC-backed companies. You know, I just I, I didn't exactly like the concept of producing the promise of value uh, to shareholders rather than like honest to goodness value today uh, in like a product that you're selling and people are giving you money because, hey, they're getting value out of it. Um, and I actually I wasn't considering at all joining um, you know a VC backed company. And then when I saw when I saw what Realm was doing, which, mind you, it wasn't launched at the time, April 2014. Um, it was uh, basically just a, a stealth posting on Hacker News hiring. Um, but uh, when I saw that what they had couldn't be built you know, overnight, you can't really build the minimum viable product of a database without building a fully acid database to start off with. You know, so the the kind of upfront R&D and investment that goes into building something like that from scratch can't really be bootstrapped unless you're like transitioning away from something else or you have some other source of revenue while you're building that out. 
And so there, there was no other way to build a realm, basically. Um, you, you basically had to do upfront, like, multiple years of uh, a team doing R&D, like, building out uh, the MVP of a fully acid database. And so that's where kind of things clicked, um, was to see that they had, what they had done in the past three years, you know, my, mind you, I was joining, I was something like num- number 11 in the company or something like that, right? So fairly late. It's not like I uh, built the, the database engine or anything. It was a whole team before before I joined. Uh, but to, saw, to see what they uh, had built with that and the direction it was going and where, again, talking about like, me wanting to optimize my multiplication factor of my productivity, basically, and seeing that they didn't have any Objective C developers when I was when I was joining, but they had like this terrific team already behind them. I could see like this narrow opening where I could have a positive impact there, um, helping build the the Objective C interface along with uh, Ari Lazier, um, who's also at Realm now. Um, it just saw this this great opportunity where it was perfect timing. And after that, with Swift being announced um, just a few months after I joined, it was like a perfect storm of uh, releasing a product at, at just the right time where we could position ourselves as uh, maybe you know a thought leader, or at least a, a strong contender in the Swift community that didn't exist. You know, again, another area for opportunity that Swift provided. Uh, just by being a new language. Um, so Realm, you know, Tim Anglad, the VP of product uh, Realm for, for a long time, he's, he's no longer there, but, but he was there when I joined. Um, him, others in the company really saw the opportunity that Swift was, uh, was providing. And so we just jumped right on it. Yeah, I love how you said that, like a thought leader. Um, if that was like the intention, well executed, it seems so organic, so natural, such a good fit, and just such a really uh, great value that you um, guys add to the community uh, in terms of uh, as it being like a, a center point for, you know, yeah, as you said, sort of a thought leader. Um, yeah, just really great, in addition to the product that you're making. So I'm really impressed, uh, and I'm not saying that to try to make you feel good or something, right? It's like, I think this is an important thing uh, to get across to to everybody. And it makes me feel a lot better that someone with uh, desire, you know, and, and, and the will to just make it happen can can rise to the level that you have um, all uh, despite only like really getting into programming, you know, after college. Um, you said you had done some programming, but you kind of make it seem like for the most part, you really started programming, um, doing iOS, like the first real, you know, programming that you were really doing was iOS. And you started that late, like, you know, after college and to now be where you're at and have created these amazing, you know, I looked at the, so, so I think Swiftlint is on the realm, uh, you know, on the realm GitHub uh, Jazzy, I think, is on the Realm GitHub. Source Kitten is on your GitHub. But ultimately, like if you look at the contributors, you're like the biggest contributor on all those. That's like really, really impressive. And so I take comfort in the fact of like seeing someone like you. Um, you have what six, seven years of experience. Um, I, I going into this conversation, like I thought you were going to say, yeah, I've been coding since I was five. 
you know, which I hear <laughs> from a, a lot of people. Um, so what I want to understand is like at this moment in time, like what do you, what type of programming do you know? You know, Objective-C, you know, Swift, like the developer tools that you've created, what languages are those in? And like what, la- like how do you create, like what do you do for Realm? Like how do you create Realm? I don't well, understand it. Let, let's take a step back real quick okay. though before we get into that because I appreciate the, the, the compliment, but really like this is, you have to keep in mind that I'm, you know, part of, of a greater whole. There's these amazing contributors to, to these projects um, that that have kind of latched onto it over time and, and basically brought it to a level where I couldn't have even built some of the stuff that, that some of these contributors have built. So folks like Norio Nomura on Source Kitten and SwiftLint, folks like uh, Marcelo Fabri, um, Scott Hoyt, like a bunch of people who uh, invested their own time and interest and in, in drive in contributing to this project that they basically had no um, uh, no invested stake in, you know, which which I find is incredibly amazing. And to to beat a dead horse, maybe um, uh, it's again it goes back to multiplying your efforts. Where I never could have brought those tools to where they are today without uh, the community latching on and, and contributing things that I couldn't have come up with. Um, so I think that's that's a big uh, lesson for me is that um, sure in open source you, you see this quite a bit where you can you can take something much further than you could have just on your own by looping others in but same thing goes at your own company if, if you're building closed source software or just just in a small, uh, closed loop, you can you can maximize your your productivity by just like figuring out where your strengths are um, and where your interests are, and focusing on that, and having others like really fostering away so that others want to fill in those gaps uh, or those weaknesses. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, yeah, I hope I didn't make it seem like it's just you. Uh, so that's really good. I'm glad you pointed out that I was actually just looking at. I think Swiftlint the other day. Um, you mentioned Marcelo, I think, um, and I noticed like he recently has been picking up, like whereas you gave a lot of effort like early on. Just recently, I feel like he, I saw like the graph, like he was like picking up a lot of the slack like these days or something. Yeah, yeah, and he, he's, uh, I would say, um, you know, he's the the lead contributor right now to Swiftlint. You know, way way beyond <laughs> what I give back to it right these days. Um, and of course, I'm missing like hundreds, literally hundreds of people who have contributed to, to projects that I've worked on in, in the last few years. So um, it really is kind of a beautiful aspect of this community. Um, and occasionally you'll you'll have people who um, take away actually from those projects. Um, and anyone who's maintained open source projects has, has probably dealt with this to some level in the past. Um just people who uh, tend to to bring you down, like they'll, they'll file uh, either like very mean spirited issues or um, even throw insults and ultimately They're more like thank- bad app reviews or something. <laughs> yeah, like bad app reviews. Yeah, um, but ultimately <laughs> that's such a small fraction of of uh, the ecosystem that you just kind of have to roll with it and really focus on on the beautiful aspects of, of the community. So 
looking back, uh, you know, so you started really getting into it around 2011 and then looking to where you are now, like for someone who has like, you know, who wants to be, to, to me, it's like feeling going kind of going back to the mastery, but just feeling like you you're progressing, you're learning, your, your skills are developing, you're, you're pushing like your abilities. Um, like, are you surprised or like, uh, you look back and you're like, wow, how did I get here? And like, what would you say is like some of the main reasons that sort of helped you get to where you are now? <laughs> um, well, yeah, a lot of, a lot of it is, is luck, um, and, and timing, you know, if I hadn't, um, if I hadn't, everything dates back to like the butterfly effect of your life, basically, where every decision leads to another, like just how, uh, picking up music in high school led me to want to pursue electroacoustics and audio engineering, electrical engineering, which then made me build this indoor location tech. And then I want to build an app around it. And it's like, you, you kind of need to, uh, to take some risks, I guess. Uh, and if there's something that, that you find interesting, like set a short-term goal, try to get there. Um, like no matter what, even if you have to cut corners, like, especially when you're starting out, um, just getting there is such a worthwhile endeavor that, um, you'll end up if, hey, if you end up having to take a shortcut to, to get there, I, I, and I mean this especially as a beginner, uh, you know, if, if you're developing production software um, right off the bat, like you obviously can't take the same kinds of risks, but, you know, say you're, you're in high school or you're considering a career change to get into programming, those are, those transition points are the great times where you can take those risks um, and, and of course, not everyone is as fortunate as I've been um, to, to be able to take those risks. Like when I graduated from university, um, I didn't have much saved up, but I could afford to uh, work at a part time job and continue paying uh, my rent like that um, while still taking on this risk. And <laughs> for much of Magnetic Bear Studios' life, uh, it was really like paycheck to paycheck in terms of meeting payroll. And I am so fortunate that we were able to make it uh, really like the, the vast majority of the time, every, every time other than I, I think like maybe once or twice um, in, in the three years of the company, we were able to meet payroll um, like exactly on the day. Um, but you know, a lot of things could have gone wrong and you just kind of have to, to judge like what level of risk uh, are you willing to take? And obviously, like, if if you have some high risk, high reward things like opportunities, uh, you need to judge f for yourself whether or not you're in a position where where you can take that on. Um, so that that'll vary for everyone. But but I was at a point in my life where, you know, no kids, no mortgage, uh, no you know all, all of those big responsibilities. And so I, I really just have to be thankful for that. And if you find yourself in, in that kind of position, um, good for you. <laughs> That's a great time where you, where you should probably be taking those risks. And this is where I see a lot of people making different decisions, right? Where you're fresh out of college, say you 
went for a computer science degree and you get this shiny offer from Facebook um, or a big company and you know, you're a smart programmer. Um, you can, you can take it. You'll probably get a great salary and a great signing bonus, but you're, you're probably at a point in your life where you can probably have a bit more, take on a bit more risk than say like 10 years later where you're not going to be able to make that change. You're not going to be able to take on that risk. So obviously this is different for everyone. And I was extremely fortunate to be in a position where I could take that risk. Um, but, uh, just, you know, keep an eye out for it and, and keep your eyes peeled for, for those kinds of opportunities. Cause if you have them and you miss them, um, odds are that they, they won't come back again. Yeah, definitely for me, it was a, it was a risk. And I guess I was in a situation where I could take that risk. It's a really good uh, point. Some people are in a place where it's harder for them to, to take that risk. Um, as they say, uh, no risk, no reward. Um, but yeah, I guess you just have to evaluate for yourself, like what your situation is and just try to make the best decision. Um, so can you explain to me like realm, like how does that work? Like, do you work on, you work on the objective C and like Swift API portion? Like, I don't understand. Like is realm just like a wrapper around like core data or is it like its own thing that's created from scratch and like what language was it written in? Right. Well, I should definitely explain that then. Um, so I lead the Coco team at Realm. So that's the team responsible for everything basically on Apple platforms. Um, so that's my Mac OS, iOS, uh, tvOS, watchOS. And um, the the team that, that I run, the team that I work with, um, it's a team of, of incredibly smart people. Uh, most of the code that we end up writing is in C++, not in Objective-C or Swift. Um, there used to be a lot of Objective-C++, which if your listeners aren't familiar, that's basically a language that supports, it's Objective-C that supports having inline C++, just like Objective-C has inline Swift that you can write, uh, inline C that you can write. Um, and so a lot of our code used to be in Objective-C++ around this core database engine that is entirely written from scratch. It's not on top of SQLite. It's not on top of core data. And that's where a lot of Realm's value lies is in building things that you couldn't build on, you couldn't build on top of SQLite, that you couldn't build on top of core data, not without incurring uh, some some major architectural flaw or some major performance issues. Um, so some of the, it, basically when, when the company was started in 2011, the idea was to take some of the uh, advancements in database research and technology and, and theory uh, that had happened in the previous like decade plus since the last like really popular embedded mobile database was was designed right sqlite dates back to uh 20 uh, or 2001 i think um and so there's a lot you know you look at all the server-side databases that have happened since then and there's a lot of developments that have happened in that space and there's a lot that could be leveraged in terms of performance and uh, speed uh, size of files um, space on disk uh, just leveraging um 
ARM chipsets, basically ARM instructions, uh, doing things like having a transaction log that you can do really powerful things like synchronization without any merge conflicts. Uh, so there's a lot of low-level um, possibilities that you know w when you start from scratch like that and design for that. So that's what Realm did, and that's what kind of turned me on to uh, to joining them when I was interviewing with them. So um, when you joined, did you immediately were you immediately like writing Objective C plus plus? Yeah, that's right. Um, so the company had. Um, it, they they had a an Objective C binding right wrapper around the C core, but uh, it, it didn't look like Objective C. Um, it was like full of macros where you set you would set up. Uh, it was very table oriented, table and rows rather than objects and and models. And so um, the bulk of the architectural work I, I have to say was really done by Ari Lazir, uh, who's still at Realm now. He's he's been building the um, JavaScript side of things, so React Native and, and Node.js lately. Um, but he did a ton of the work. Uh, I helped uh, as well, so we were working together on that, designing the APIs, saying like, okay, let's use the Objective-C runtime so that you can really use these um, Objective-C classes. It can feel like Objective-C. It can feel like a part of the language. Um, so so we, you... we built the, the first version of Realm Objective-C, which we launched just the week after WWDC 2014. So did you learn Objective-C++ and C++ on the job? Yeah, I'd done uh, a tiny bit of more Objective-C++ dealing with um, core audio in the past with my work at uh, Magnetic Bear Studios, but um, really my, my first real introduction to C++ was working with Realm. Uh, and in the three years since, we've um, pushed down a lot of what used to be at the Objective-C, Objective-C++ layer into a pure cross-platform C++ layer that, that sits on top of the core database engine that other SDKs, other language SDKs at Realm use. So Node.js, wow. React Native, Java, Xamarin, um, we all kind of share more of a code base now. Wow. And so the Swift... It's like a Swift SDK, I guess. Like, let's say I'm making an iOS app. I'm using Swift. I, you know, pod install Realm. I'm using like a Swift SDK um, of Realm. Yeah. So we have Is that uh, sort of two, how we describe it. We have two flavors for Cocoa platforms for Apple platforms. Really, there's Realm Objective C and Realm Swift. Um, and Realm Swift is a Swift API wrapper around Realm Objective C. Um, so if you're using CocoaPods, you do pod install Realm Swift. It's all one word uh, for, for that CocoaPod. Um, and so and all so of all the heavy lifting is still done by, uh, at the very bottom layer, that database engine in C++, and then the object store on top of that, and then Realm Objective-C on top of that, and then Realm Swift on top of that. Oh, wow. So, we're, so when I'm using Realm Swift, I'm... Um, Using the Swift API to interact with an Objective C API that's interacting with the the C, uh, the actual C core. Yeah, the C plus plus. Sorry, sorry, the C plus plus core. And then Realm is open source, so could I see like how that looks? Like how, like I guess what I'm wondering, what does it look like when I call a Swift API that calls an Objective C API that calls a C plus plus API? Like, what does that look like? Can I look at that on on? You can absolutely look at that. Um, yeah, okay. so the entire client side is open source, uh, just like um, you know SQLite is, right? 
but unlike Cordata, obviously, Cordata's code is is closed source, um, which I think makes a really big difference when you're debugging your app and, and you're like stepping through uh, basically the, the stack hierarchy of your call. Uh, you it's super beneficial to just be able to look at look at the actual source and then look that up on GitHub or in, in Git and see exactly what the code path is, is doing there. You know, you don't have to reverse engineer it. You don't have to disassemble it. Um, you, you can look at the source. We uh, sometimes um, field in pull requests and, and fixes or improvements from the community even. So it's, um, it's great to see that, uh, that the entire local stack is open. I'm so I'm just like thinking, don't say anything because I don't want to catch you off guard. Literally, don't say anything. I'm just going to put this out there. Um, like Apple buys Realm and uh, I don't know. But then does that really make sense because you have the whole Xamarin thing and Android, but Swift on Android and Linux? Mm, I don't know. Pretty interesting. Okay, let's move on. Um, what I want to what I want to understand is, okay, so... So Realm is a mobile database, like, but it's just for the, f- it's just for like locally on the phone, right? Is there like some way to put my Realm database in the cloud? Absolutely. Um, so that's actually part of uh, a new product that we've had out for about, I'd say, eight months at this point. Yeah, we released it in in September, uh, which is called the Realm Mobile Platform. So that as a whole is. Um, kind of a whole development platform that uh, Realm provides that allows uh, both server-side access to all of your client-side data, um, and that's synchronized in real time. And it also acts as kind of the central piece for device-to-device synchronization. Um, So say you have uh, a to-do list app, right, on the App Store, and you want to share your to-do list between your iPad and your iPhone or your iPhone and uh, your friend's Android device. Um, you can use the Realm Mobile platform to basically deal with that synchronized data as if it was all local, uh, because it is all local, right? So you get the speed, the performance, uh, you get the offline capabilities and that responsiveness of never having to go through the network to access data. You're always accessing it locally in the local realm. It just so happens that we have this uh, other thread in the background that is pulling down remote changes, pushing up yours, and handling all of the merge conflict resolution for you. Wow. So you don't really need to worry about you know whether you're getting data from the cloud or you're getting it from a local store. You're just getting it from the store. The store handles you know, sort of where it's coming from, caching and all that. So it's this uh, manifestation of this concept that your listeners might have heard about, this unidirectional data flow, where instead of having multiple code paths in your app that deal with, okay, well, what if um, this item was added by user input versus the server pulling or some background task or another process or any of that, it always just goes through the local database and you can observe that using uh, notification blocks. You know, you get some fine grain information to know like what uh, in your table view was inserted, uh, deleted, modified, etc. So it, it really simplifies your code base because especially if you have a lot of uh, serialization code 
in most apps uh, or networking code, right? You're dealing with, okay, well, what if the JSON that the server sends back is malformed? Or what if it, it's in this shape or that shape? Or what if the connection breaks just after I pushed this like server create call and the server acknowledged it, but I didn't get the acknowledgement. I'm going to try to recreate that. I'm going to duplicate entry on the server. Like there's just so much error handling cruft in so many apps these days. And, and this just abstracts all of that away uh, in a very efficient binary protocol that uh, takes care of so many of these headaches for you. Okay, I have a couple more things I want to try to touch on real quick before we end. So when do you think is a good time for someone to start playing around with Realm um, versus, let's say, just like exploring Core Data because maybe it's a good idea to at least know a little bit about Core Data? Um, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, you know, I'd say um, Realm has a much lower learning curve than Core Data. If you just compare the amount of boilerplate that you need to uh, access a Realm versus accessing a core data stack, uh, there's a world of difference there. And not only that, but um, thankfully with, with iOS 10, um, core data has, uh, it's added a few features, one of which helps you avoid um, core data faults, right? So defaults are what would happen if you have two threads simultaneously accessing data, one of the threads deletes an object. So the other thread that's also accessing that object then gets a fault because, hey, that object that you were using no longer exists. Um, and with iOS 10, it has some capabilities, but you really need to design your whole code around that. Realm has safety built in so that you never get faults. You have full thread isolation, no matter in what way you use it. You're, you're, so you're never going to bump into these surprises that cause like really difficult to diagnose race conditions or bugs in your app. Um, so I would, obviously I'm biased, but I definitely recommend, uh, especially for beginners to try realm out first. Right. Um, but, uh, th there's certainly things that core data does that, uh, that realm doesn't right. So th there might be reasons why you, you would want to use core data. For example, if you need an undo manager, well, Realm doesn't come with one of those. Core Data does. Uh, so that's that might be a reason why you might want to start with Core Data. It depends on what you want to build. But um, you know, I would say that for the vast majority of people, Realm is going to be a better fit. Yeah, it sounds like it might be a good place to start if you need to start persisting um, like data in, in a database as opposed to just like, you know, directly into like the file directory or something like that. It might be a good place to start um, to kind of get your feet wet. And then if, you know, the company you're working for or you just want to mess around with core data one day, you might be better prepared to kind of understand how to work with it. Okay, another thing, uh, when do you think is a good time for someone to start using SwiftLint? Uh, well, really at any time. Um, one of the goals of SwiftLint is, again, going back to focusing on the core parts of what is essential for what it is that you're trying to achieve. Uh, style usually gets in the way of that, especially if you're working with more than one person and you're getting into these stylistic debates. Oh no, right. this brace should be on the new line or same line, or we should use X number of new lines between functions, etc. A, a linter can help by automating some of those decisions for you so that you're left 
with a lot more brain space to think about the things that are actually important. Like instead of analyzing for trailing white space <laughs> when you're doing code review, you can instead analyze for, uh, okay, well, what's the control flow here? What um, is the algorithm? What are the edge cases, et cetera, right? So it helps you avoid thinking about style. And for beginners especially, it can be a helpful tool as you're learning the language to try to understand what some of the conventions are. So for example, uh, if, if you're new to Swift, you might not necessarily fully understand the risks that are involved with force casting or force tries, uh, so avoiding error handling. So the tool might actually help you um, nudge you in the right direction there as you're learning the language. Yeah, so I'd it. say, you know, as soon as you're comfortable with uh, turn it on, it's especially easier to do with new projects where you don't have code that you have to convert. You know, you're starting fresh. Uh, great time to start. Uh, I, real quick, I just thought of this. Um, it's, it's all good if you can't answer it, but uh, do you do any hiring at, at Realm? If so, what's one thing a potential candidate can do to impress you? If, if that whatever the version of impressing you means, you know, maybe you don't need to be impressed, but you know what I mean? Right. Stand out, I guess. Um, well, having done a fair bit of hiring at Realm, um, I can say that usually a good indicator of a candidate's um, abilities is, uh, so this this might be more <laughs> advice for, for people doing the hiring than, than people doing the interviewing, but um, I like putting the candidate in the in, in their very most comfortable state, um, mm. whether that means getting them to program uh, in a language that they're most comfortable with, even though we're hiring for something else, um, you really put them in their comfort zone. If they're really familiar with like one type of algorithm or you're super familiar with building like custom UI collection views, uh, whatever the candidate says that, they are super comfortable with get them to do that first because you know anyone can have trouble if you ask them to build like a least recently used cache with like multi-threaded access safe access and high performance you know anyone's gonna have trouble with that if they're not used <laughs> to building that exact specific thing um, right. whereas you know if you want to get a sense of like if someone knows where their strengths are which is a valuable um, valuable thing to know and a good indicator of like self uh, understanding put them in their most comfortable state even if that's not what you're exactly hiring for at least at first um, and then if you need like some very specific knowledge uh, then of course like test that but in most of the cases you're better off having someone who can learn those things but has a great attitude and just a great thirst for knowledge and a good work ethic than finding someone who happens to have worked in exactly the same field but doesn't have any of those things. Okay, so on the, on the flip side, as, as someone who's interviewing, try to make that pitch, I guess, uh, to the person who's, who's interviewing you, saying, like, I'm, I'm a flexible learner, um, I'm a quick learner, I can show you this, this cool thing that I'm passionate about. Honestly, I think most interviewers would love to see that and and that's going to make you stand out if you're hiring for if you're interviewing for a job. Yeah, so that's a good point. It it pays to 
be you, you want to have knowledge about all the different really important things, the core kind of iOS, let's say, related things. But it might be good to have like focus on one particular thing. For me, it was core location. I had spent like two months just working on core location. So like that was like my place where I was really comfortable. Um, okay, last one before we go to the rapid fire is something I really wanted to talk to you about. Uh, just a simple question, uh, but it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, like uh, mastery versus adaptation. And like, so anyways, the question is, um, application uh, did finish launching with options. What do you do? What's the first thing you do? Um, and and if you, maybe it's different depending on the app, but like if you look back on the different apps you've written or what would you do now? Um, what's the first thing you do or the first few steps you take? <laughs> <laughs> um, the number one thing to do, I think, is as little as possible. Um, <laughs> and if that means basically splitting out all of what you would be doing in application did finish launching into some other file, then that's a great start because honestly, otherwise what happens is that you end up having this, um, this pile of all the things that you want to do that ends up piling up in one place that you can't really move. Um, whereas, uh, if you immediately start embracing the concept of having like code organization, even when you have no code, even when you've written no code, if you start off with that right off the bat, uh, you'll have a much better foundation just kind of continuing in that direction rather than piling on in, in the one place that uh, can't be moved. Yeah. So, okay. So you basically just take whatever you're given. So in this case, launch options quickly, like fire that off somewhere else and then, and then, you know, kind of go from there. So I like that. Like, as quick as you can, kind of get everything into your own object, and and and, and into your own file so, anyway, right? So yeah, just yeah. just setting, starting off on the right foot. Okay, cool. And I just I remembered I want to ask real quick: How is Swift Unwrapped going? You guys just launched it. Um, really awesome podcast, by the way. How's it going? Yeah, thanks. Well, um, it's uh, it's fun to be on your show uh, soon after Jesse Squires, who's the co-host of the show. Um, and I don't know, I think it's, it's going pretty well. Uh, Jesse and I are still figuring out, um, kind of where we want the podcast to go. Right. So we're still trying out a few different things. Um, in the past we've, uh, went all the way from like talking about some high level components of the Swift, uh, language to some pretty deep dives. And in the future, I know we want to touch on like doing some deep dives in manifestos, um, doing we've got another one coming up soon um that's just about the swift 3.1 release which is super high level i think um but we end up talking more about like just the very high level direction of swift and some of the newer things that that are exposed in swift 3.1 so i think it's going well but um you know i'm i'm hopeful that we'll continue getting some feedback from the community uh on where exactly they'd like the show to go so if you've listened to Swift Unwrapped, uh, just give us a shout um, at Swift underscore Unwrapped on Twitter. And uh, we're, we're happy to kind of cover any topic that you'd like us to touch on. Yeah, I think so far it's been great. I love the idea of you guys talking about these big sort of concepts that we always hear about. We hear about source breaking changes. We hear about bridging Objective-C. Like these are 
concepts we hear all the time. And so it's nice to sort of define those, talk about those. And then maybe, uh, yeah, and then like the manifestos, that totally makes sense, um, or the big releases. And then um, also just like, um, you know, I think you guys mentioned you might do this, and I'm not sure if you've done it yet, but like just if there's not really much to talk about, like just talk about what happened that week or the last two weeks, like basically like a audio version of the of the the brief, you know. But yeah, really, really awesome. Um, really happy that you guys have, have done that. So so thanks for that. Okay, so uh, we've come to the end. We ch- we're trying to keep it, uh, you know, below an hour. It's really difficult. We're we're just over. Uh, before we um, end, I've been doing this uh, rapid fire section, and I want to do it real quick. Um, so, first question is, what drives you? Yeah, what drives me, I think, is uh, just multiply multiplying my impact. So, if I can yeah. um, do something that will empower others to uh, do something that I never could have, uh, then you know, I think I'm I'm succeeding in my goal. Awesome. Desktop or laptop? Uh, Laptop, for sure. Portability wins. (laughs) Standing or sitting? Standing. Git from the command line or from the GUI or both? A CLI, absolutely. Nice. Uh, Vim or Emacs or Nano? Yeah, none of the above if I can help it. Uh, I do most of my work in Sublime and Xcode, but Vim if I don't have a choice. Okay, cool. Testing or no testing? Oh, test. Absolutely. Uh, not TDD necessarily, but uh, but definitely test. Uh, XC test case, quick and nimble? Uh, you know, XC test case, I would say. Um, uh, yeah, I don't cool. think we have time for <laughs> elaborating on that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, okay, Twitter bio. We sort of already talked about that. Runner, jazz man, uh, we, we play the saxophone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, saxophone. Not as much as I uh, would have would like these days, but still a bit. Yeah, and then like, is that where the the, the jazzy soulful docs come from? Uh, kind of, but not directly. It's more that Apple's internal tool for generating its API docs for like foundation and stuff uh, back in 2014 had all sorts of references to jazz in the HTML, and so that was kind of a play on on theirs. Interesting. Okay. And uh, you're a runner. Yeah, um, mostly long distance. Um, nothing terribly hardcore, but, uh, uh, you know, half marathons and marathons. Nice. I think Chris Eidhoff's a runner, too. Yeah, see, that's what I meant by hardcore. Um, <laughs> I've been running with him a few times, and uh, you know, he's nice enough to uh, to go at my pace. Oh, wow. I didn't know he's that hardcore. Okay. Um, so your Twitter profile picture, there's like a dog and you're smiling. Yeah. And my wife's in there too. Uh, Christine, um, she, uh, lights up my world. Oh, and your dog's name? Chewy, like Chewbacca. Chewy. All right. That's right. And the banner, it looks like one of the parks in San Francisco. That's right. Yeah. That's, uh, the hill right next to our place called Bernal Heights in San Francisco. It's just South of Cesar Chavez. So South of the mission, just get a great view of the bay and the city and the bridge. Wow. So nice, man. So beautiful. Okay. Uh, last but not least, where can people contact you online? So at SimJP, S-I-M-J-P on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, that's the only way to reach me really. (laughs) 
All right, cool. And before we go, one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Uh, people learning Swift, um, reach out to the community. Uh, it's one of the most helpful communities that I've uh, had the pleasure of, uh, of hanging out with. Um, lots of really generous people who are willing to help you with their time. Um, so yeah, don't, uh, don't hesitate to just kind of CC a few people on Twitter if you have a question and, uh, people are generally pretty re- receptive to that. Awesome. All right, JP, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. Uh, you know, you started learning programming with like Visual Basic, but you weren't really uh, into that, even though you made this like breakout game. And then, you know, you went to college to study electrical engineering uh, to make like effects pedals. And you were like, you know, all about music, really. Uh, and then you graduate and you're like, I got to make money. And you wanted to make an app for this like beacon thing that you had created. And then you're like, ah, man, I, I guess I'm just going to start making apps. I got to make money. And you just like convince all these festivals to like, you know, pay you to make apps for them. And you did that. And you did Magnetic Bear Studios for like three years. And then you're like, man, I really enjoy programming, not necessarily running a business. And I want to magnify my productivity and, um, and, and I want to build more interesting stuff. And you end up joining Realm and you've been at Realm for three weeks next week and uh, three years yeah Yeah. three sorry sorry what did i say three weeks (laughs) three weeks next (laughs) week yeah (laughs) feels like three three years flies by (laughs) three years next week and you know working on realm um you 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 know put out like a source kitten which we didn't even really talk about um jazzy and swift lint and um and you know and now you're doing swift unwrapped with jesse and uh yeah man just awesome to share the community uh, with you and and to just be able to use all these um, things that you help make. And uh, thank you for sharing that. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Yeah, listen, Garrick, I love what you're doing with the podcast. Uh, Keep it up. Um, Keep listening to it. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.